to take the government to court four years for them to abide by their own laws. This is what is required for you to actually abide by your own laws. Welcome to Surviving Society. With Chantel and Tiso. This season's broad theme is... Reconfiguring whiteness. Unfortunately, Tiso isn't here today. And one of our guests isn't here either. But... It's okay, because I am still joined by Ibtahal Hussein from Campaigns Against the Arms Trade, who is the university coordinator. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem at all. This episode has sort of been a long time in the making. It's kind of a bit, I can't believe just me and you sat here now <laughs> at the end, because we've been chatting for a while, because you guys have had, you've been doing so much more recently, because you've had the arms trade fair has happened. Yeah, we just had... So the DSCI is just finished, which is one... Sorry, what's the DSCI? So it's one of the world's, actually arguably the world's largest arms fair that happens in London every two years um, in the Excel Centre in East London. So every two years there's a huge resistance to that arms fair and we've just finished that week of resistance and they've packed up their arms fair as well. You need to make sure you're following campaign against the arms trade and their socials because the stuff you did in that week was just incredible like everyone like who did you have to speak you had um adam elliott cooper you had um, we had yeah we had some amazing um people come speak throughout that week and so we actually sorted out that week we like themed each day so the first day was like the stop arming israel day the second day was like no faith in war day so like lots of religious groups came out yeah and the third day was like the no nuclear day the fourth day was the conference at the gates and that was really about like how academia is practiced beyond like these institutions and yes. these bubbles and that's where i think you saw the video of adam yeah and like amrit wilson who's oh, yeah incredible um, and yeah. there's amazing people so nonny michelle did stuff on borders someone um someone asked from uni resist border controls spoke about how all these things are linked like the border industry and the arms industry on campus so yeah it, it was a it was a big, long, tiring, but firing week. Yeah, really inspiring. And you do so much. You do so much organising for campaigns against arm trade. And I'm gonna call, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the acronym now, so I'm not doing that mouthful every time I say it. So <laughs> you do so much organising for CAT, and you're also a master's student um, at SOAS, studying the politics of conflict, rights, and justice. Like you are doing the work, girl. Like <laughs> I mean, we. <laughs> I'm not yet. We'll you see. Are. We'll see. You're doing it. It would be really good for our listeners and this isn't in the sort of pedantic way or to to assume anyone doesn't to understand but more to give us sort of somewhere to start from what would you describe personally or how would Kat describe the arms trade what is the arms what are we referring to there who are we referring to there yeah so I think this is actually a really good question because like this is something that weirdly is debated about yeah so like You'd think that the arms trade is literally just the buying and selling of weapons, of equipment that's used in, whether it be like tear gas or whether it be like missiles or whether it be grenades, all of those kind of things. So it's literally the buying and selling of those things. But it's, I, I guess, like, for me personally, I think the arms trade is a lot bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Like, it is about the military-industrial complex. It is about the structures of oppression that uphold a militarised... Mm-hmm. Mil- uh, yeah, a militarised yeah. world and also this trade and also what this trade requires for it to continue. Mm-hmm. So it requires these oppressions. It, it requires a structure of racism for us to not care or, like, about mm-hmm. the deaths that are caused 
by this trade, mm. which is literally an industry of death. I think if, yeah, maybe that's how I would describe the arms trade, mm. an industry of death. But yeah, I think even that doesn't encompass like the magnitude of the arms trade. And I think you see in one of those videos from the arms fair. I think um, in the episode guide, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We'll put the links in there, yeah. I think like I think actually specifically you mentioned Adam before, I think he specifically talks about the border industry and policing and how this isn't just about equipment that's used in other parts of the world. This is about what's used here. Yeah. Um, that was a very good definition of the <laughs> arms trade. Also makes me furious even hearing just even thinking about how the arms trade is so reliant on racial capitalism, hierarchies of race, hierarchies of humanity, effectively. Yeah. Like, the fact is that people are dying all over the world, but people are profiting from it, and it almost doesn't matter. But if it was happening here, yeah. in, in, in as, as large a scale as it does to abroad, then would it be... 1,000%. I mean, we've seen, like, Yemen by the UN, like not some radical group or anything has been described as the world's biggest humanitarian crisis. Like, we've seen 85,000 children starve to death as a result of the war. That isn't the hundreds of thousands that have been affected or the millions that have been displaced. But there's a a number... I mean, you even see it, to be honest, even with Khashoggi. So it's been an anniversary now since Khashoggi's death. Could you explain who Khashoggi is? Yeah, so Khashoggi was a Saudi journalist who was murdered in the Turkish embassy. Really horrific ways. And it, it created this uproar, this huge response of, like, people saying, like, the UK now needs to um, reevaluate its relationship with Saudi Arabia. And even the UK said, the um, representatives said stuff, but the, the fact is nothing really changed in terms of relationship. And also, what, what I wanted to bring this back to is just what we were saying about the uproar that that caused, but the hundreds of thousands of lives in Yemen didn't. And again, you see, like, so actual Khashoggi's uncle was what's ridiculous is he was one of the biggest arms traders. So it's 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 really messed up. And I mean, he was very critical of the Saudi government. And that's well, I wouldn't even I think some people would say he wasn't even that critical. He was mm. just a critical voice who was working for The Washington Post. But he was seen as a Western journalist, even though he's a Saudi journalist. Mm. But the, the response that that got compared to what's happening in Yemen mm. is something I think really symbolic of. Oh, who's, who's, who's valuable? Yeah, who's, who's not, yeah, whose lives are valuable? Like, yeah, 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 definitely. 1,000%. I think just because you've spoken a bit about Yemen there, I think it would be quite good for our listeners if you could just give a little bit of an overview of what the current situation in Yemen and what have been the things that have sort of led to where we are with it now, if you feel com- comfortable yeah. doing that. Yeah, so I've given you the whole UN thing about it being the world's worst humanitarian crisis right now. It's like a very basic and general overview. But I think this is also... I don't want to say this is like it's like a case study. This isn't a case study. Like these are people's mm. lives and yeah, stuff. That's exactly, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This is so symbolic of the UK's relationship. Like the UK has supplied over four point three billion pounds worth of arms to the Saudi coalition, which has bombed Yemen since the war. Again, I'm only focusing on the UK because I'm talking about Kat's work and us as UK citizens mm. being kind of complicit in this thing as it, because it's the actions of our government that supposedly represent us. £4.3 billion. That isn't including... So some of the licences that are applied mm. for are unlimited licences. So it's not a number of... You don't know what the number of arms that is being sold. It's just a thing that's on a rolling on basis. basis. So, yeah. So it could be way more. Mm. And, again... To go back to like looking at the arms trade more holistically, mm. it's about also the UK's role. The UK has played a huge role for decades 
when it comes to Yemen. And that, that stems from colonialism. That's not something that's, you know, it's just popped out right now. Yeah. And so that that's definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration, that the UK plays a crucial role in the war in Yemen. And a lot of the arguments have been like, well, if the UK didn't supply weapons, then Russia and China will supply weapons, which is ridiculous because that's... I can't believe someone even thinks that's an adequate response to such a devastating... Yeah, as the UN says, humanitarian crisis. Like, I just... What's a we? We're the best to do it. Yeah. So yeah, it's like it's like a race to the bottom. We're more sophisticated killers. <laughs> exactly. But also the ridiculous, the <laughs> the most ridiculous thing is is that like even even if you're going to take that really like abhorrent argument to be honest, if you're going to th- if you're going to say if we're not going to do it, someone mm. else is going to do it. Mm. It it doesn't actually add up. Like military experts have said, it takes decades mm. to build. Mm. This kind of the support that the UK is giving Yemen in terms of military training, the supply of weapons and like the building of like air equipment and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, that's, that isn't even, again, this is this, the stuff is coming from military experts that work for these governments that are saying this isn't actually feasible. But like you said, it's a ridiculous argument anyway, because it shouldn't be about a race to the bottom Um but I just wanted to point out that it's actually not even a feasible one. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of in terms of who the UK supply arms to, so the big one is Saudi Arabia. So yeah, so Saudi Arabia has been the biggest buyer of UK arms for a decade. But but who else? So actually two-thirds of um, arms exports from the UK are to countries in the Middle East, mm. which says... I think a lot. We've seen that play out with places like Egypt. We've seen that play out with like the arming of Gaddafi in Libya. We've seen that play out decades ago with Saddam, who then the UK went to, to war uh, to, against. Yeah, but supplying Saddam and supplying Iran at the same time. So Iran Iraq war. Let's supply both of them. And the, if you look at the documents and stuff, there's stuff about like to um, to be neutral. So let's supply both countries in order to provide oh, neutrality God. so 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 the middle east is a big place for uk arms but there's also places like brazil and um, we've we recently saw the stuff about come to light again about the uk supply of tear gas um, and stuff to places like hong kong where there's been huge demonstrations the uk is supplying that yeah i mean See, look, like, i just like obviously we're we're sort of immersed in the these sort of things like mm. people People that like are engaging in politics or engaging in things like this are sort of have an understanding of what's mm. happening. But actually, when you have someone like you spell it out like really plainly, it really sort of, sort of hits home like how disturbing mm. what the state has always done but continues to do on such a large scale. But at the, on the flip side of that as well, I think it's also quite good, particularly for our listeners who aren't necessarily immersing themselves in those state violences, to just hear again and again what the UK are actually doing and funding. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think what you said is, like, even as someone who would have considered myself, like, oh, this is something that, like, I care about or whatever. It's like, you don't understand the extent of it. Like, you keep... There's still stuff that you keep finding out. We... The stuff about the arms fair, particularly, I think, like, the people in Newham, so, like, London Renters Union, um, e- Focus E15, people came out and they were like, you can't do this on our doorstep. Like, mm. even in terms of, like, this isn't just about... This is about... I, I feel like that is a is a perfect example of the arms trade, man- like, manifesting itself so openly. It's one of the... It's actually one of the very few ways in which the arms trade operates so publicly, even though, you know, no-one can really enter it. But, like, 
it's ridiculous how crazy they, they are exactly. about it. Yeah, and almost smugness. Well, I'm gonna sit, we're going to situate ourselves in the middle of East London, one of the most multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiracial yeah. areas exactly. um, in the UK, and so we're going to sell thing. some bombs. Yeah, and you see, so you see tanks come through. You see, and also there's one tank that I still can never get the image out of my head out, which is like painted in the Union Jack and says British by birth. And what? I'm like, <laughs> at least it's honest, you know, I was like, wow. Sorry, that's me heaving, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and if you see photos that they posted on social media, it's like missiles behind. Um, so like there's like pavilions for like the Israeli pavilion where they'll have like missiles from like companies like Albert Systems. One of the things that I saw this year was, uh, you know, so you know what like fun fairs and stuff you get there. Guess how many sweets in a jar? It, guess how many bullets in a jar? And you win a fifty pound M and S voucher. I don't even know. It, like, the, 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 yeah. Like the things I. Yeah. So I remember I, someone I, messaging. I just, someone putting something like, "We've run out of." ideas for satire now because like you've literally done it like 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 that is like the str- like and it's also the the M&S voucher as well there's something so like Sinister, neo-colonial yeah. capitalist oh god like there's so many things yeah. I can't even put it into words no it's really and at the end of the fair they're like see you in 2019 and this is what always baffles me it's like the audacity like to be so you know like there's sometimes, like, you'd be like, oh, so maybe this is the time to, like, you know, try and, like, keep it quiet, keep it shh. Mm. Like, but no, it's like, where are we the audacious? So, actually, so someone wrote something for the London Review of Books, Aaron Marat, about going to the arms fair, and he speaks to people, and one of them's like, yeah, I mean, it's not going great. It's like, do we have those? If you have a look at it, I forgot what the exact quote is, but it's just like, yeah, the deaths of those people on our hands, like the blood of the deaths of those people on our hands. Someone from Raytheon literally ran away. Also, MBS, Hamid bin Salman, who's like the leader of, of Saudi, was on a huge screen. And it's like, I don't understand if the, even if you're having these relationships, mm-hmm. like the audacity to put someone who, by the way, so many of these countries are listed as human rights abuses by the UK. Mm-hmm. It's just like, the hypocrisy is not even... I think someone... It's unfathomable, yeah. kind of, like... And someone said it well the other day. They were like, we're moving... I think we're moving towards a way... To, I think it was Mr. Malik who said, like, we're moving away from that, like... So, like, that height of liberalism where, like, you know, we all spoke about democracy and human rights and all of that stuff when we all knew we're it wasn't happening. From... Like, we knew it wasn't happening. Like, we knew it was all a load of rubbish. But now it's just like, you know, the era of, like, Bolsonaro and Trump and Boris. It's just like, it's just like bringing those conversations that existed. We've spoken about this on the podcast before. It's like we're in an era where we are very close to the state bragging about this stuff, even though they have done to mm. an extent, but the language changing into something much more sinister and much more, like, affirmed in our position that Britishness is superior mm. and that that is the reason why we sell bombs and it doesn't matter about the people that die because we... Do, do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I know we've always acted in that way anyway, yeah. but I know what you mean. It's like we're in this era where like, it doesn't matter. That liberal, yeah. that almost like that flimsy, yeah. fluffy liberalism is going. Yeah. And you can imagine, like... Like a general election campaign, like sort of leading on. Well, we're going to sell more arms. Like, do you know what I mean? I mean, even so, that that argument is a huge thing. Part Mm. like, what about the UK economy? Do you not care about workers? Do you not care about? Yeah, do you not care about workers' rights? And it's Mm. it's so ironic because I think arms export make about 0.2 percent of UK jobs. Like, so even if we were going to look at that again, Mm. even if we were going to take this ridiculous argument that Mm. people's lives 
don't matter and like we need to consider workers rights more than the massacre and like the killing of people elsewhere and at home um it still is a ridiculous argument that doesn't add up Mm. but also we've seen actually that workers in the past have like led some of the most amazing solidarity movements so Mm. in the 1970s Kat was working with the Chile solidarity movement and workers in Scotland in the Rolls-Royce company it was Rolls-Royce's I think the 16th largest arms company in the world providing fighter jets to the the Pinochet regime in Chile the workers said we're not gonna we're not gonna work on this and they blacklisted they like they like kind of like blackmarked the jets so they couldn't be used and they like end up rusting and they couldn't be used um I think what was that last year or the year before uh Felipe a Chilean um, filmmaker goes to see these workers Mm -hmm. and goes to see some activists in Chile and he speaks to them and he's like, do you know anything about this? And then when he goes back to the workers, they're like, we had no idea that we had any impact. But they essentially saved lives. And it's such a beautiful... It's such a. It's, it's such a... That's also, amazing. like, I think in... Convivial sites of resistance, even in organi- within organisations yeah. that are set up to be... Literally, yeah. Inhuman, inhumane. Yeah, God, that's, why, that's really powerful. And also it gives a glimmer of hope because I think it's so easy to lose hope in something that's, like, so big as the mm-hmm. arms industry. Mm-hmm. And I, the first thing I thought of, I thought of them immediately because a few months ago dock french and italian dock workers stopped the shipping of arms that were being sold to saudi and they put up a huge like banner that's like especially because of like italian government's response to migrants which has been horrific they put like open the seas to people not to arms and they stopped the, the shipping of weapons that were being sold to saudi which is just like this is it's such an amazing act of solidarity and it's like this is where workers yeah, that, like that, that whole idea of like it's either you're either with the workers or you're either with or or you're you're like you're either with us or against us is a load of rubbish, and you like also the Lucas plan is really indicative of that. So that was when a group of workers said we don't want to use our skills to manufacture weapons. So they they drafted up what they could use so instead. Who was this? Sorry, the Lucas. Then it's a, it's called the Lucas plan. This is a few decades ago. This is like Tony Benn's time, and mm-hmm. they came together and they like they 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 actually gave the proposals They're like we could use it for like dialysis machines this is what we could use our skills for so they were engineers or yeah they were engineers yeah. and they were like they're like we don't we don't want our skills to be used um, to make, yeah to make arms yeah. yeah and it was just such these these are all examples basically that show that this whole idea of like the economic idea which is so inherently flawed mm. doesn't even add up and also like it, yeah. we can resist it as well yeah That's exactly what it shows. Yeah. yeah i feel like sometimes like in this yeah capitalist neoliberal world like you can feel like regardless of the industry you're in like you're sort of you don't have much power but i guess as collectives we do and it's it's when we come together and we can do stuff like that i think that's really powerful so i'm just going to go back to what you said about the italian government obviously they've been very hostile to um migrants more recently and what was what you said you said that was on the banner it was like open for for people yeah open the seas for even i think it was open the water or open the seas to to people not to arms and that is just like because if you actually deep that what the what the italian government are doing is saying that it's okay for us to have arms arrive or to export arms, but not for people that are desperate and fleeing. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, actually yeah. thinking about it that plainly is so Yeah, sometimes disturbing. you need that, like... Yeah. I think it was... Gary Young wrote this piece. He's, I think it was like, Imagine a World Without Borders. 
and it was like it's it's exactly what you're saying like when you don't think about something so plainly like he was just like like the amount of stuff that moves freely when we're talking about like arms or we're talking about trade and we're talking about stuff it's like that yeah all of that that can the the leeway and stuff that 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 has especially in a a Mm. neoliberal system in comparison to people is such a ridiculous thing but it also i think it it's hopeful because it's like mm. well actually you can actually you can physically imagine a world without borders mm. like it's not something that's like a stretch of the imagination mm, definitely as a bit of a segue into more sort of hopeful things but equally keeping mm. the theme the same can you tell us about the court case yeah so this is this is something that's really exciting yeah we took the government to court basically <laughs> so this is like four years ago yeah about the selling of weapons to Saudi that were being used in Yemen we didn't win in the courts, but then we appealed the case. Yeah. And in June, we got the verdict that we actually won the court case. And it was ruled that the UK government, in its selling of uh-huh. weapons to Saudi and um, that were being used in Yemen, were unlawful. Yeah. Irrational and unlawful, which is a huge thing because the UK government had to stop new licenses, which is hundreds of millions of pounds worth of arms. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, like again, this it was such it's it's such an amazing thing. It doesn't dismantle the arms industry. It doesn't no. ma- dismantle this thing, but like, it was a huge win because that's even those hundreds of millions of pounds worth of arms. Like, I I, I think that's something that like collectively we're like super proud. But it's also kind of ridiculous that it's taken a group of campaigners to take the government to court four years for them to abide by their own laws. Mm. So the government, so it's just like. This is what is required for you to actually buy by your own laws. So the, I think that it was about like the breaking of international law that said if there is a clear risk that the arms might, and it's not like will be, it's like might be used to violate international, uh, international humanitarian law, then you can't sell those arms. And there's been numerous reports that obviously what Saudi Arabia is doing in Yemen has violated international humanitarian law. It's, it's ridiculous. Four years, a group of campaigners, like if we hadn't taken this on, it's just kind of like, yeah. Well, it's incredible. It's incredible, and just literally well done to all of you. Like, on, honestly, like Thank big you. up Cat Thank for doing you. that because that is the work. And I mean, I I took I totally agree with you about how shocking it is that it has to get to that point. But if you look back in history, like who were the people? What happens to make the state? think differently about their conduct mm. and not necessarily think or be forced to think differently yeah. about their conduct it's the people it's yeah. always the people it's always people arguing against fighting against protesting yeah. establishments organizations governments that get change it cut like it comes with so so much as you know practical intellectual mm. emotional labor yeah. But when you get those results, it is there's just nothing like that feeling. And I can't imagine what it was like when you found out. Like, yeah, I found out a week before we were allowed to say, mm-hmm. which is really hard to keep because you can't say anything. But it was... Was it this year? Or was it yeah, this, yeah, yeah, it was, it was in June. Year, yeah. um, but it was... God, as if it was only in June. It feels like it, like, obviously, because yeah. we've been in contact and like, I've read, I've read bits yeah. about it and whatever. It feels like it was longer ago now. It was only June, guys. June <laughs> this year. Cat, basically. Well, we won't say sued, do we? We say stopped. Yeah, you, t- I mean, you stopped it's... them. You stopped them from... I can't believe... Yeah, it's, it is... It, I feel so lucky to have been at Cat because obviously this has been going longer than I've been at Cat. but I feel yeah. so lucky to have been at Cat when this happened. It's funny because our media spokesperson actually had to return from his honeymoon because he's like, I want to be there so he like he was only early like he literally got there a few hours before and i was just like 
got to the court, and then he came out and was like, we won! Yeah, it was really exciting. Have the government tried to communicate with you at all? So this is, uh, actually, I wanted to bring this up. So Liz Trust, I don't know if you saw the news recently, oh. Liz Trust, she... There's a letter published where it's like, I inadvertently apologise to the courts. Um, it turns out we've breached the court case, which we won, um, by selling three... Like, there was like it was three times that they'd breached the court case. So they'd sold... Oh, so they'd been selling whilst the court case was going on? No, after they said that they wouldn't sell anything. So she put, like, we inadvertently sold arms. Um, and I apologise unreservedly. And I think Keith Faz in Parliament said, so what are we going to put on the death certificates of all those people that, that you died. That you Like, you sold these weapons by accident. That's God it. Sad. Like, how do you sell weapons by accident? How do you sell... You I mean, don't. They just yeah. got caught. And we never... Like, I, I don't think there was any question in Kat's mind that, like I said, this is going to bring down the arms industrial, military industrial complex or the arms industry. Mm-hmm. But, again, it's just about, like, government is going to keep fighting because it's main priority is arms export promotion that's Mm -hmm. all it cares about is selling arms like we literally have a department which has existed for decades under different names that is there to promote arms export like um department for international trade defense and security organization literally i think 150 civil servants are there to promote the selling of arms so you have stuff like the arms fair which by the way like that one's a really big one but we have one we've got them all across the country like Mm. it's not something that happens in isolation it's one of those things that's like you know that the government isn't it's it's not like oh yeah whoops we did this accidentally Mm. like now we're gonna listen and but but again it's just ridiculous because like we're not giving you anything radical like this this is like the least radical Mm. bit like this is like follow your own laws Mm. like Mm. it's yeah but I think also it alludes to the other stuff. So, like, you have the arms export promotion, you have the arms fair, for example, the the largest one. Yeah. But it's not just about the UK selling arms. It is literally about upholding this arms industry. So you have countries coming. So loads of people, um, delegates were invited from different countries, many of them on human rights abuses lists, all of that kind of stuff. But when they attend, so the UK, so obviously there's some countries that the UK legally can't sell weapons to, but what will Who? happen... Who? Places like Sudan, for example. Okay. What will happen is other countries, other states, delegates, can meet up with them, give them a business card. The next day when they're back in their countries, literally back on their soil, those arms deals can happen. So it's, that, it's about facilitating the arms trade globally rather than just pushing, like... It's like an old boys club, isn't it? Yeah, literally. And it literally is, it is all boys. Well, imagine, <laughs> literally yeah. all white boys. Yeah. That's literally, that's, yeah. yeah, that's mostly, well, um, I guess it is on his crew. Mm. It's one of those things where it's like, it's not even just about the UK. It's about what they're doing to facilitate this industry, mm. like globally. Condition it, yeah. yeah. You mentioned when we were sort of talking before we started recording, that there's things about the arms trade that you feel like are a little bit sort of, not necessarily known. Mm. Could you give me some examples of, of some of those things? So I think the stuff about, like, I don't think we we really think that there's a department yeah. that works just for arms yeah. export promotion yeah. or the fact that, like, it makes so little of jobs that like arms mm. export make 0.2% of jobs. There's also this stuff about, like, so the human rights investigations that are going on in Yemen, so the violations, mm. the UK is supposedly being investigating those, like, 366 cases. Who? Who's um, investigating them on behalf but, yeah, of the like, this Civil is, servants? Or? No, 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 no. Just, just wait for this really, really, really mm. ridiculous thing. So 
there's like I think there was like I don't, the last time I saw it, it was like 366 cases, 79 of which are being investigated mm. by the Saudi government. So the Saudi government is what? investigating its own violations. <laughs> It's own, yeah. What is it with like violent organisations and governments and investigating themselves? <laughs> that is just like corruption one hundred and one. Yeah, um, yeah, it's mad. And again, I think it's like it's really hard to like think about these things. It's really hard to like take yourself out and be like, it's bigger than this because it's so like when you see these examples, it's like, oh my god, the mm-hmm. government, this is so awful, blah blah. Mm-hmm. And you see it like with like government officials who end up working for the Ministry of Defence and then end up heading an arms company and then, like, they, like it's those, it's those um, revolving doors mm-hmm. where they end up having positions of influence but representing, basically, what they want. Mm-hmm. And the, the mad thing is, is that this is where it's, like, epitomised, mm-hmm. but these things are, like, through the corridors of every part of society. You see it in universities with their investments. Like, you see it in universities mm. with their research funding. Mm. Like, I think one of the colleges at Cambridge, one, I mm. think, has over £365 million invested in, like, the biggest arms companies, the biggest oil companies. Yeah, it's uh, Oxford as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dakota Access Pipeline, Arconic, which is the company responsible for the cladding at Grenfell. How is it possible for you to like invested in so terrific things? But also research funding. Mm. So then like departments, especially engineering departments, will get funding from arms companies, which is really weird, I think, because Rolls Royce as well, aren't yeah. they? They're very connected to engineering departments. One hundred percent. Rolls Royce, especially yeah. like Imperial and places like think of places with huge engineering departments. Um yeah. yeah. Sheffield has like a advanced manufacturing system mm. thing that works with BA systems literally for the production of bullets. Like, it's not even... I think what... Sorry, every time you mention bullets, I'm thinking yeah. of that fucking jar. I'll show you the tweet later. But also, the what I think is like mad is that research funding, you see, there's always this thing about, you know, left-wing students like shutting down free speech, blah, 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 blah. But it's literally like... If you're not seeing these overall big pictures, you're not understanding that uni- companies are literally buying the thought of, of students. Mm-hmm. It's not even about freedom of speech. It's literally about freedom of thought. So the capacity of those students mm-hmm. is only to develop technologies of war. They graduate and they can only mm-hmm. provide in that sector of society. Mm-hmm. And then the cycle of war continues. And it's so mental, like, just, just homing in there on the university context, like, how like the media and just public discourse in general will position students as as you say like lefties like mm. liberals like snowflakes whatever mm. derogatory term you want to use to call people that like want to just like mm. look after the world um how they'll get sort of painted as these sorts of people and then we almost like forget about people that are being trained as you say literally, to kill literally or um, yeah or to develop technologies to, de- to kill people yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's so embedded <laughs> in our structures to facilitate a hierarchy yeah and we're so committed to that that you can just locate it within so many different institutions i know i'm not saying anything like particularly radical here but it's more just my reflections as you're talking like it's just everywhere yeah you don't realize it like so also again like not to be like that annoying because like oh yeah we have to look at the links but like we literally have to look at the links like Mm. the british museum last year held this um huge exhibition on um they announced the exhibition ashur bimpal and like iraqi history and they posted this thing um and it was sponsored by 
BP. So BP, oh, yeah, BP played a huge role. Like it had already done like a review of oil fields, like um, the one in southern Iraq, months before the invasion. Like they played a huge role. And then to be like celebrating the culture of Iraqis that you literally contribute to to the deaths of, mm. and also BP's role today in Iraq, like which uh, at the time that that they announced that. I think over 100,000 people were hospitalized because of the um the state of the water in the third largest in the area where there's a third largest oil field in the world. How is a place so rich in oil being exploited so much? But then again, you have like the British Museum, it's like also it's like where where did you get these artifacts from? Mm-hmm. Like it's all these things and it's just yeah. like it's like the oil industry works with the arms industry. And even when I mentioned Arconic before about the company responsible for the cladding at Grenfell, so that also supplies materials for F-35s that are being used by Israel. Like, mm. it's not like... F-35s are... They're like um, aircraft. This stuff is, like, killing so many people in so many different in ways. so many different ways, and it's so, yeah, connected, yeah. as you say. And it's about, literally, to put it blunt, bluntly, it's people putting profit before people mm-hmm. that's it and that's how you can see those things being linked because it's literally about putting profit over people i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna drift slightly away um from this but but it's in within the same theme sort of in sociology and when we think about research and methods campaigning mm-hmm. activism all these things sometimes we sort of neglect the emotional toll as well as how emotionally exhausting this sort of work can be mm. and working on this sort of thing. How do you find that? Like, you yeah. are effectively, like, taking the government to court, like, mm. you're campaigning, you're organising, you're trying to make it, like, really make mm. a difference and save people's lives that are miles and miles away mm. from here even. What keeps you going? And mm. how do you sort of balance that, um drive to yeah campaign but also like looking after yourself as well do you know what I mean yeah no I I understand what you're saying I think like like I I think like it's so hard to be optimistic and like hopeful when it's like oh like all of this and it doesn't really matter because these structures Mm. like still exist um but I think like one of the things that drives me is that like one like my complicity like I'm like I feel like I'm complicit in this. Yeah. This is, like, yeah, it's, like, that kind of horror and terror of, like, being, like, I'm part of... I feel like, even though we need to look at this in, like, structural stuff, in in structural ways, like, as someone that, yeah, is being represented by a government that is doing all of these things um, and working with these corporations, I feel there's a level of complicity. But also, I think there's, like, this... There's this kind of, like, the really small gems of, like hope like the yes. stories from like mm-hmm. the workers in the 1970s or recently the dock workers and the French dock workers or the court case and those things like I think as campaign campaigners we need to learn to like celebrate them more yes. because we forget and we're so tied up that we, we're like we've actually done something quite amazing um but I think again also like it's for me it's not really about like I don't feel like it's like you know saving lives or anything but it's just I think my aim, I've put my aims a lot lower in that they're to refute, uh, well, not lower, like I, like as in to address my complicity and all of that kind of stuff and to work in a way that I think isn't like something that's like, you know, fantastic or great. It's like literally kind of like 
my duty as someone that's like mm-hmm. being complicit mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and part of the problem mm-hmm. is to like just expose and refute mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So then I feel that is what makes people, it makes it so much harder to, mm-hmm. sorry, to expose these things. It makes it so much harder for people to refute, to mm-hmm. refute it, like to refute the really obvious stuff that this is an industry of death, this is about mm-hmm. putting profit over people. And I feel that that in itself makes people come together mm-hmm. because they're like, actually, wait, you don't represent us. Like, where, like, the power is with us. Mm-hmm. And I think that the power of the collective and the power of people coming together in the face of such horror and terror is what keeps me going. It's not like, I don't I don't personally think, unfortunately, that I can, in the very near future, imagine a world without um, this, yeah. yeah, this military-industrial complex. I mean, I hope... I hope to work for it, but like the stuff that keeps me going really is like that, yeah, the collective and us realizing that all of our stuff is super linked and that the power's with us rather than with these states. I think you're totally right, and I think so much. I feel like it's almost like when you're doing activist work, campaign, and working towards a cause that you feel really passionate about, mm-hmm. that it's like your even your practice or your mindset is so. Um, immersed in neoliberalism and capitalism because we have to live it every day that we almost forget to celebrate things that have happened Mm. because capitalism tells you to keep going, keep going, keep going but it's like actually we have to take we have to sort of come together have a moment, think right look look what we've done, look what we've achieved like, and that can be really therapeutic I feel like as well because this stuff can really like. I mean I can't say that I'm doing as incredible work as what you guys I'm definitely do. not like also no. loads of this stuff is like everybody else like I've just been lucky to be like no, there I mean, of course no, no but this, it's a collective uh, isn't it but you guys have done some incredible stuff but yeah like ha- getting Liz Trust to have to apologise <laughs> like that is even though her apologise is pretty pathetic apology even though her apology was pretty insulting to be honest like yeah. let's be real like the fact that you've managed to do that like taking time to be like look what we've done yeah I think it's really yeah. powerful otherwise I think it's like it's so I've definitely felt so disheartened before like there's yeah. definitely parts where I'm like do I even like what's the point of working on this stuff like it's never mm. gonna get you anywhere mm. Mm. but then and I think I'm not gonna lie I think sometimes like like even people around you are like oh it's, it's cool like is it gonna do anything but then it's just like oh the court case oh hundreds of millions of pounds stop I mean just the mm. I, I would have loved to see the pressure like the the facial expressions when they found out by the government or when they had to tell the Saudi embassy mm. that would have been fun mm. <laughs> I also no, like yeah. <laughs> like just like just the uh, I mean obviously it's not about that but like just the little the little, little shake up little, the little yeah, shake up little, it's just the like little wins you've got to yeah. take them yeah and it's just like even you just talking there about the idea of conversations about this stuff and I mean we were talking about it more recently um Lesbians and Gays Support the Migrants did a campaign, um, a really amazing campaign against British Airways because yeah, they yeah. have got the contract to deport um, a lot of the Britons, yeah, um, migrants. And it's like we were reflecting on, me and Tito did a video um, for it, and, like, I was just thinking about there's people in a room that are sort of just, like, casually saying, right, so we're going to do this, we're going to do that, mm. this is the amount of people that will die, this is what's gonna, this is how much money these people are going to make. It's like when you strip it down to, like, those conversations, so I'm just thinking about you winning the court case and mm. someone going into someone's office and be like, oh, we lost this court case, and then being like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Like, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it just, it just, <laughs> it just actually thinking about 
those conversations about who is who is more human, who is more deserving, who is more mm. undeserving, I think we can't underestimate how sinister like yeah. that those processes mm. are. And I think your work and the stuff you've been talking about is a really good reminder of that as well. Yeah. There are people willingly doing this stuff and have been doing it for years. This is not yeah. a, this And as they're shying thing. away from it, like, yeah. like to bring it back to that, like bullets in a jar thing, like that is super, like how... <laughs> yeah. it, like it's so sinister yeah. also to be like at the end like see you in two years it's just like there isn't even like a you know there's not even like that pretend bit of like you know we're gonna try and so stop sh- wars no, like no yeah. shame no shame no, no it's just shame. like wars are gonna continue we're gonna, gonna continue to make profit sad disheartening but we'll fight it we'll win it you will <laughs> you will no we've got we've got we've got to keep going it's hard. I just wanted to talk a little bit about gender and how that is linked to arms is yeah. there, can you speak to that a little bit yeah so, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, so, that, like, I think this is another one of those things of, like, us talking about the structural ways mm. in which we look at the arms trade and how the arms trade profits mm. from these oppressive structures and requires them mm. to um, continue. Mm. But also you see the, you see the arming of places um, specifically that the UK talks about having such horrific treatment of women for example yeah so so I like mean, saudi is like the perfect example so, but we're always like oh yeah they don't let women drive or whatever yeah. but then and we give them like yeah. i just don't it's kind of like this amalgamation of like awful things because like the, all the tropes and the islamophobia and the racism comes out but also we're talking very truly about like um women's rights being suppressed so the like this whole thing with MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi ruler, being like, oh, this reformist, this amazing person that the UK started to say, like, look at this um, look at this ruler, different from the others. Like, women can drive now in Saudi Arabia. What a, like, like what a... What a reformer. <laughs> literally. What a progressive. Literally. literally. But at the same time, I mean, but, but wait. Yeah, go on. So those women are now jailed and imprisoned. So the same women that the UK, yeah. It's so, it's... Why? It's so bad because the... I mean, Saudi Arabia has... Yeah, Saudi Arabia has... It's not just killing people in Yemen. It has... It's human rights abuses affect its people. We've seen people being arrested, tortured, killed. People that have gone on pro-democracy protests. I mean, the treatment of migrants in Saudi and migrants in the Gulf, specifically from South Asia, Mm. is, is, is something really indicative as well of, like how these things again are connected it's not just about saudi in yemen even though that's that in itself is huge and needs to be looked at it's also about saudi's human rights abuses and bahrain is another really perfect example so bahrain is part of the arab spring was part of the arab spring but no one really ever remembers it because well like the u well the uk plays a huge role in arming bahrain and bahrain is also supported by saudi which the uk also arms obviously we saw recently two young people being killed, I think 17 and 19, because being on pro-democracy um, uh, protests, we've seen the huge, of like literally just any basic human rights, calling out, like criticising the government in any way. Mm. And again, you, like I think it, that's, it's not just the Gulf, but you definitely see that the treatment of migrants yeah, across the Gulf is something that definitely needs to be paid attention like need some attention because it's it's crucial as well that's what i that's what i always find really difficult because obviously there's all these things happening but then at the same time like as you say this sexism and islamophobia is so easily sort of expressed by the uk as if we're something that's above that 
Exactly. And it's like that tension. You sort of walk in this tightrope of like wanting to call out both sides, but equally not wanting to appease either. Exactly. Like, and that's so why I always. How do you do yeah. that? That's why I always think it's it's really important to understand the arms trade beyond the selling and the the selling and buying of arms because mm-hmm. then you can be someone that like it's like yeah we definitely need to. Um, I mean, there's loads of people that are very right-wing that believe in... Uh, people that have very, very racist views that believe in arming Saudi mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. And and there's a lot of very racist... Oh, I mean, that believe in not arming Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, and that comes out of this very racist and Islamophobic oh, way. Yes, so you see you see all of that rubbish and it's like... Yeah, it's like, why are, we sell, why are we selling to Saudi yeah, Arabia? Yeah. They do all this to women, but they're yeah. not saying it because they're necessarily anti-arms. Yeah. They're just... Yeah. and also yeah so also yeah. so again so you need that holistic view right yeah. you need that you need you need to understand that it's like these things um so there's a, an academic that we work with uh, david Waring, who talks about he's just written a book called anglo-arabia about the relationship between the uk and saudi arabia wow. and about a lot about how a lot of this is about empire right it's yes. not even about the uk selling arms and making lots of money out of that it's about it keeping its influence of being this if, uh, and you kind of see it now, like this nostalgia for empire and stuff. It's like, it's it's still there. And arms, the arms trade is one way to exert that influence. Mm. Um, but yeah, 100% that, like you need to, that's why I think it's super important for us to have a, a, a holistic understanding of the arms trade because I, I don't care for your solidarity if it's one that's going to throw lots of people under the bus. Mm. If it means that your end line is the same as mine, like that, for me personally, uh, that's not something that I think is. Yeah, I I just don't think that's that's how you go about mm-hmm. solidarity or like caring about the same issues. I think if you understand that Islamophobia and racism and sexism are all and and capitalism mm-hmm. and yes. neoliberalism is the basis of this arms industry, yes. then that is how you're you're going to be able to address it properly and be able to fight it. Yes. Uh, otherwise, you're like that's you're just going to play into yeah. the racism and also those that those things are what the arms trade requires to like to be perpetuated yeah. like that thing about like if the extent of the war in Yemen was happening in a place like the UK people would be like oh but what about what about jobs no one would say something like that and like that that is very indicative that like black and brown bodies are very disposable mm-hmm. for a lot of this for for a lot of for a lot of people and so like yeah it's if you're not going to acknowledge this, you're you're not going to be able to. I don't think. Yeah. Dismantle it. Yeah, dismantle yeah. that system. Definitely. Oh, it's been it's been so inspiring talking to you. Like, yeah, thanks for having us. I mean, a bit frustrating, <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> like, I'm a bit vexed. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm 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 yeah, frustrated, but equally like you're right. Like, we have to like grasp those those bits of hope and the court case you won like incredible yeah. like um for listeners like if you look in the um episode guide there'll be links so you can see you can track exactly what happened um in writing um and there's also there'll also be links from your more recent protest to get at the um arms fair yeah. in excel um i'll put some this, stuff up yeah, if anyone fancies doing yeah. stuff at universities or campuses and yeah stuff. so any students any campus. students get in contact with cat because they're all you're always looking for campaigners aren't you yeah, yeah. and also academics of course like you guys yeah. can get involved um, but yeah thank you so much for joining <laughs> thank you so much for having us it's been so yeah. great we will have another episode for our patreon supporters thank you so much you guys if you are not a Patreon supporter yet, but are have the means and are able to for approximately 
1.7 coffees per month, which is £2.70. So average price for coffee is £2.70, right? For 1.7 of those each month, you can get an extra mini-sode and also help us cover our costs and keep the podcast going yeah. and help us contribute to sociological knowledge. <laughs> Thank you so much. Anyway, to all supporters and all our listeners, peace, see you soon next week. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Chantal and Tiso. Please like, rate and subscribe. You can also find more of us on Twitter and Instagram. 